Welcome back. I'm Brian Metzger and this is Inscription. Whether you feel far from God and you want to change that or you already have a relationship with God and you just want to go deeper, this is the place for you. Brothers and sisters, we're preparing the readings for September 26th. It's the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Kind of interesting, September 26th and the 26th Sunday just happens to line up there. But before we take a look at those readings, we want to look at the Hebraic calendar. One of the reasons we look at the Hebraic calendar is because the Bible comes to us in a context, in the context of an oral tradition. And this is one of the ways that we can access that oral tradition. How, do, how, did it, how does Israel talk about its scriptures? So first of all, we are in a new month, and the new month is the month of Tishrei. We just celebrated Rosh Hashanah. We had the first 10 days of awe, and then we have four or five days in between where we start for the seven days of Sukkoth. And so there's 20 days of celebration between the 10 days of awe and the seven days of Sukkoth. And then we have Simha Torah. It's coming up. It's going to be Wednesday. This, this coming Wednesday is going to be Simha Torah. And that's the day that sets the seal. And so, the, uh, so as we look at the month of Tishrei, we're going to start with the name, the number, and the letter. So what does the name Tishrei mean? Tishrei means beginning. So, and it's the, be, it's the beginning of a month. It's the beginning of a new season, the season of fall. And it's the beginning of a new, uh, beginning of a new year. We are also talking about how the number for the month the, is seven. That Tishrei is the seventh month. And so it's kind of interesting that Israel celebrates their new year in the seventh month. And the things begin again in the seventh month. But one of the things that's beautiful about that is one of the spiritual meanings of seven is the Sabbath. It's the place of rest. And so it seems appropriate that in that seventh month, in that Sabbath month of the year, something new emerges, something new is born. And even the way they refer to Rosh Hashanah or the new year, it means it means the, the head of the year, like a baby's born head first. So the the letter for the month is the letter Lamed. And one of the meanings of the letter Lamed is it's it's shaped like a shepherd's staff. And it has the it's the twelfth letter, but the numerical value is thirty. Once you pass ten, the first ten are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But then when you get to the next letter, then it becomes twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. So twelfth letter, but the numerical value of thirty. And the the secret of the Lamed is the understanding of the heart. And this is one of the places in the, they refer to the study of the Word of God, the study of the Torah, as the Bet and the Med. Because the first word of Torah starts with the Bet and the last letter of Torah is a Lamed. And so just to summarize the whole thing, Bet and the Med. But they take those letters and those are the same letters in the word for heart, which is Leb, Lamed Bet. You, you, you mix them around. But so the mystery of the Lamed is the understanding of the heart. And this is something that Israel is praying for, especially in this month of Tishrei, preparing for the celebration of Simha Torah, that understanding of the heart, to have the Torah in the heart. And in that Bet and the Med, as they summarize it, Bet means house. And so we want to build through the study of the Word of God, we want to build a house within us to dwell. This is the cry from the Song of Songs. In the Song of Songs, you have this culminating point of which is the chapter 8, verse 6, where it says, The Lord says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal that 
flashes flames of fire. So this is a fiery seal. And this is not the fire that destroys. This is a living fire. This is our God is a divine fire. This is a dancing fire. This is a life-giving fire. But it's also an unquenchable fire. And we're going to hear something about unquenchable fire when we get down to the gospel today. So I just want to take another second to get that. Set me as a seal upon your heart, a fiery seal that many waters cannot quench. Floods of waters cannot quench it. And so this is an unquenchable fire. What this fire represents is when the infinite desire within the human heart meets with the infinite desire within the divine heart and the two become one and that's that beautiful fire. So infinite desire of God and infinite desire of ours meet one another in that fiery seal. Well, that fiery seal in the Song of Songs chapter 8 is referred to four times in the Song of Songs, not just in chapter 8, when uh, that we're referring to the fiery seal, it's what's referred to in the first line when it says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. And when the mystics explain this, they teach this out, this is our prayer to God the Father, um, let him, let the Son kiss me, let him kiss me with the kisses of the word, that we want the divine word. What's interesting about chapter 8 is the answer to that cry of the bride, which is the, which is the secret cry in the infinite desire of the human heart. It's the only thing that satisfies. Everything else will never be enough. And, the, and even the more you taste this divine word, the more you taste this fire, you will also desire more of him. But what's wonderful is he's infinite and ever greater. So he can bring you wave of satisfaction after wave of satisfaction. So we want to orientate our whole life toward this divine kiss, towards this fiery seal. But there's two other places where this divine embrace is referred to. And that, and the way it's tr translated there, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 6 in the Song of Songs, and then again chapter 8, verse 3 in the Song of Songs, you have the same verse repeats itself. It says, His left hand is behind my head, and with his right hand he comforts me. And so this is that divine embrace. And don't, it, it's the same, we understand the, the embrace of the lover, it's not just the kiss of the lips, but it's the being held with the hands. And this is what we're asking for with our God, a, a divine, a divine embrace. And so the left hand is what is being corrected or rectified during the first 10 days of the month of Tishrei. And then the right hand is being what's rectified in the next 11 days of Tishrei. So you've got the four days in between the days of Awe and Sukkoth, and then you've got the seven days of Sukkoth to give you 11 days. And during Sukkoth, which is happening right now, they build a booth outside and they're exposed to the elements. And so one of the rules of the roof of the Sukkoth is that you, you can see the stars through it. But that means if it's good weather, happy days. But if it rains, it rains. And if it snows, it snows. If it's cold, it's cold. You're exposed. You're vulnerable. And so we're supposed to remember that God was leading us through our vulnerability into the promised land. And even as the mystery of the bet is the desire for the, the deepest desire for the human heart, the deepest desire of God's heart is to have a home, that the Sukkoth reminds us about remember before you had a home. Go back to when you didn't 
didn't have the home and the stability and the structure and re connect with that because that's what I want to be for you. God wants to be for us a home. Okay, so that's the name, the number, and the letter is Tishrei 7 and the Lamed. Now we're going to take a look at the tribe and the sense. The tribe of the month is the tribe of Ephraim and Ephraim means double fruitfulness, so we see God doing a great work to increase our fruitfulness in this month. And right now, you know, you may be in a place where you have to walk by faith and not by sight, but that's only temporary. God has us walk by faith and not by sight only temporarily until we learn how to see, until we have eyes to see. So, so step out in faith and more and more he's going to give you experiences where you can see him coming through and multiply your fruitfulness. I say yes and amen to that for your life. <coughs> so tribe of Ephraim means double fruitfulness. Also, Ephraim was the second born son of Joseph and Joseph brought him them to his father Jacob to get their blessing and and they and he crossed his hands and he gave the firstborn blessing to Ephraim so there's an opportunity for a divine driven elevation a supernatural acceleration in this month of Ephraim and it's passed on through touching and so we live our lives looking for that divine embrace and that touch of God but also we want the we want to yeah, recognize the way in which our tussing, touching can be a blessing and curse. The more we're under the yoke of heaven, the more our touches to others will be a blessing and not a curse. So that's Ephraim. There's, there's also a real cool story. I'll give a very condensed version of it. But you might remember Ezekiel has a vision of a field of dry, of dry bones. Those bones were... Uh, the rabbis teach were the tribe of Ephraim that got slaughtered 30 years before the exodus. And Ephraim prayed, please do not let Israel see the bleached bones of my kin when, they, when they're saved from Israel. And so when Ezekiel's given that vision, even the curse of his tribe being slaughtered is completely renewed and resurrected. So that's even a greater uh, proportion to than just the double, the double blessing. Okay, so moving on from the tribe and the sense of the month, the senses, the tribe is Ephraim, the sense is touching, we're now moving on to the, the festivals and the memorials of the month. And so we were talking about all these, the, the ten days of awe and the seven days of Sukkoth, all preparing for that Shemitah Torah. And that's the day that the embrace is sealed, that on, 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 on not Shemitah Torah, Simhah Torah, on the day of Simhat Torah, this determines our connection to the Torah for the whole year. And it sets our blessings, it renews our destiny, and it limits our trials for the whole year. And so this is the way Israel remembers that month. I want to see it through the finished work of the cross. But I also want to honor that there's something special that God's done through the ages on, in this month and on this day, Simhat Torah. And I want to say yes and amen to that dimension, the Father's heart being released for all of his sons and daughters to, to give us that intimate connection. Balance our left hand and our right hand. Left hand is a hand for receiving. Right hand is a hand for sharing. 
how do you balance it? We want to learn to receive so that we can share. Our God is a God of abundance. He's created a universe of abundance and he's created us to know the pleasure of receiving his abundance so that we can be a part of blessing others with abundance. We want to live in that divine flow of God's abundance. And when we get out of balance from that, the constellation in the sky, the heavens declare the glory of God, the gospel is on circuit above our heads, the constellation Libra is the scales, it's the balance, it's the constellation for this month. And it reminds us that the, the, the scales are the sign of justice. And, but justice isn't about, yeah, giving justice isn't about punishment. Sometimes we think about the justice system and the prison system. But even the prison system is known as the Department of Corrections. So the scales of justice are about healing. They're about correcting the imbalances to learn to receive in order so that we may give and to be in that flow because a blockage causes damage not just to us but to everyone and everything else. So uh, there are graces in this month to correct that for this new year. All right, wonderful. Now we can go into the readings for the day. As I said, it's the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's September 26th. The first reading is from the book of Numbers. So open your Bibles and come with me to Numbers chapter 11, verse 25 to 29. The Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to Moses. Taking some of the spirit that was on Moses, the Lord bestowed it on the seventy elders, and as the spirit came to rest on them, they prophesied. I'm going to pause there for just a moment and talk about God's heart revealing to us a pattern for us to live by. Any gift that's given to any of us, yeah, if God has blessed you with the grace of healing, he is giving you a blessing in order to train and equip to raise up others in the ministry of healing. So apostles are meant to raise up apostles. Prophets are meant to raise up prophets. Kings are meant to raise up kings. And so this is that divine paradigm, the model that God's working from. And we see it here. So the there was one of the greatest spiritual anointings that was ever put on a human being was put on Moses' life. And God shows here it's not just for Moses. He gathers 70 more and he spreads it out. Jesus does the same thing when he sends out his disciples. He sends out 72 disciples. And we there's lots of different rabbinic commentaries about is it 70 or is it 72 or is it 74? So we'll circle back to that another time. But this this 70, this multiplication of what God's doing. And also, if you look in the prophet Joel, it says, a day is coming when the Lord will pour out on his spirit on all flesh, not just the 70 elders, but all flesh. Let's dial back into the second paragraph here. Now, two men, one named Eldad, the other Medad, were not in the gathering, but had been left in the camp. They too had been on the list, but had not gone out of the tent. Yet the Spirit came to rest on them also, and they prophesied in the camp. So when a young man quickly told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, Joshua, son of Nun, 
who from his youth had been Moses' aide, said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses answered him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets. Would that the Lord might bestow his spirit on them all. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So what we see here is is those elders that were pulled to the side and they were anointed and they were prophesying in the special gathering. There were two that, though they were on the list, stayed in the camp and the Spirit of God was still fell on them and they still prophesied. And then people were saying, well, you shouldn't be prophesying because you're not with them. Wait until we get to the gospel. A very similar thing's going to happen because some of the disciples are struggling because there's a person who's casting out demons in Jesus' name who doesn't follow them. And Jesus says, leave them alone. Anybody who's not, anybody who's not against us is for us. And Jesus expresses that same desire that's manifest through Moses right here that would that all the people were prophets. And not just... and. Moses touches something that's so true that we see that that's what's prophesied in the prophet of Joel and then it's repeated again in the Acts of the Apostles. Joel is quoted and said, the Spirit of the Lord has been poured out on all flesh. And so, brothers and sisters, we have seen tremendous revivals in the past and sometimes their numbers are astounding and their manifestations are incredible. But the great revival there's there's a revival that's coming that's going to be infinitely greater than anything we've seen in the past it's going to be it's going to be the well habakkuk describes it as the knowledge of the glory of the lord will cover the earth like the water covers the sea this is what i believe we're called to be forerunners to if this touches your spirit then know that you're a forerunner to prepare the way for that great the greatest of all revivals that's coming. Okay, so there's our first reading. Now we can take a look at the Psalms. Psalm 19. I'm going to start with verse 8. The refrain for the Psalm is, The precepts of the Lord uh, give joy to the heart. Now, the first line is, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The law of the Lord here, this is a reference to Torah. And remember, we're getting ready for the Feast of Torah. Torah also can be translated as the teachings of the Lord, so it doesn't have to be limited to the first five books of the Bible. This is all teachings from on high. This is the yoke of heaven that we receive. This is the seal that we want to be set upon our heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. What that's referring to is that as we study Torah, there's an engagement There's a living relationship with the living God. As God himself, it takes God to know God. As God himself starts to open up the understandings of the heavens within the human heart. It's the most amazing. The law of the Lord, it's perfect, refreshing the soul. Now, if you go back to Psalm 19 and you look it up, notice we're starting at verse 8. The first seven verses are all about what's happening in the heavens. And then the last seven verses are about what's happening on the earth. So Israel saw their synagogue service as they studied the Torah as a mirror for what was happening in the heavenly places. And just as the angels are ministering, and that's what's being referred to here in the first part of Psalm 19, it's the heavens declare the glory of God. 
and the and the, it talks about the word of God being poured out through the heavens and it gives four different verbs for how the heavens are speaking and declaring and prophesying over all of us well this ties into angelic ministries and you get this image of the angels grinding a giant millstone which is interesting because we hear a millstone referred to in the gospel coming up but the angels at the giant heavenly millstone grinding the heavenly bread so that every day God's children can have fresh revelation from on high. This is the daily bread lifestyle that Jesus was talking about when he taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Fresh revelation because man lives not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And that word is that fiery seal that we're praying for to receive that divine embrace during this month of, of Tishrei and in particularly the, the feast of Simha Torah. Okay, so the law of the Lord is perfect, the refreshing the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord is true, all of them just. Though your servant, though your servant is careful of them, very diligent in keeping them, Yet who can detect his failings? Cleanse me from my unknown faults. So this cleansing process, this is part of those first 10 days of Tishrei, the 10 days of all of repentance, where we humble ourselves before God and we acknowledge that it takes God to follow God. And for all the ways in which we've failed to say yes to the grace that he's granting to us, we, we're asking for a rectification, we're asking for a correction, we're asking for a balancing, and that's that left-hand balancing um, that's being referred to here. We're also going to hear something when it comes to this, this balancing the left hand and the right hand. Uh, Israel, the rabbis teach on a three-column basis. So the right column is the first column, then the left column is the second column, then the center column is the, is the, is the head and, and the heart. And so, so we need to learn to balance. It's like riding a bike. And what's beautiful is taking on this yoke of heaven, Jesus, who's my rabbi, my rabbi Jesus, Jesus, my rabbi, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And think about riding the bike. You know, once you learn, once you get that feel, it's easy and it comes back to you, even if you put the bike down for ages. Um, but it's a great image for this balancing of the right hand and the left hand with the center column. And you get so good at it, you can even, you can even ride hands-free. So I remember doing it as a child. I'm sure it still works. All right, so... Through your okay now from down to the last verse of the Psalms Psalm verse fourteen it says, "From wanton sin especially restrain your servant, let it not rule over me. Then shall I be blameless and innocent of serious sin." And so Israel would teach about something called the um, Yitzirah, and the Yitzirah was an evil inclination that winds up in the human heart and it, perhaps this could be seen in conjunction with an effect of the uh, of the first fall and the original sin and the disordered passions so there's this battle within us but what's beautiful here is that disordered passion it's not something saint paul talks about it he says we put the death of the flesh by the power of the spirit and I feel like this is a message that's 
sadly missing in the church, oftentimes the message comes out more like moralism, which is try harder to be better and use willpower to overpower the evil inclination. But what the prayer is praying, what the psalm is praying, is from wanton sin especially, restrain your servant, let it not rule over me. It's asking for divine power. It's asking to put to death the flesh by the power of the Spirit. And this is what we're, we're going to be seeing, is that Jesus has for us a new identity, but this new identity, to be a new creation in Christ, nothing of the former remains. This, this, new, this new identity is not something that, it's something that we say yes to and we allow Him to do in our lives and we allow to manifest in our character the very character of Christ, which is different than us looking at what Jesus does and trying to imitate Him from the outside. We want to do this by the power of the Spirit. So it's not about willpower. It's a, it's a, it's a will that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if that... Over time, I think that that distinction will become clearer and clearer to you, but it is something that's largely missing in church messaging uh, in, in the last, oh gosh, I'll say, I'll say 50 years, but I could probably root it back further than that. Okay, we're moving on to our next reading. This is from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. All right, this one's going to need some revelation in order to in order to grasp it. And as is our gospel, there's there's going to be a lot of pitfalls and erroneous understandings here. So um, so uh, we welcome the Holy Spirit to lead us even as we listen to it. Chapter James, chapter five, verse one to six. Come now, you rich, weep and wail over your impending miseries. Your wealth has rotted away. Your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver has corroded, and corrosion will be a testimony against you. It will devour your flesh like a fire. So here's that negative fire. We're going to hear that negative fire again in the gospel. Um, that's the, the antithesis of that holy fire, that unquenchable fire that satisfies from the Song of Songs. So... It will devour you, your flesh like fire. You have stored up a treasure for the last days. Behold, the wages you withheld from your workers, harvested your fields, are crying out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and pleasure and have fattened your heart for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous one, and he offers you no resistance. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So first of all, this the way of the righteous not to resist the yeah, the attack of the enemy. This is the turn your other cheek message. This is also this is also the, the Jesus who laid down his life on the on the on the crucifix when he was crucified. But keep in mind, Jesus does nothing that he doesn't see the Father doing. And so this is not a message to become a doormat Christian. Jesus was also very capable of raising his voice and giving the scribes and the Pharisees what for. As well, he was very capable of going into the temple and flipping over the tables. Likewise, there was another occasion where they wanted to throw him off the cliff and he passed mysteriously right through the crowd of people. It's as if he became 
uh, invisible, or at least with, they be uh, they became un, or at least intangible, so that they couldn't lay a, lay a hand upon him. So, uh, yeah, yeah. With all that said, what? So what one principle can we take from that in governing our journey? And that's the very principle that Christ lived by. I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. And this is what we want to instill and cultivate within us, this lifestyle of keeping God before our eyes. Uh, he's not a distant God. He's right here. Let those who have eyes see. And in seeing what he's doing present right here, it takes God to know God. So we humble ourselves like, Lord, Holy Spirit, send, tenderize my heart and sensitize my spirit so that I'm more and more clearly able to perceive your presence in the, hidden in the depths of the reality that's before me. And then I will know when is it time to walk through the crowd and when is it time to flip over the tables? When is it time to challenge, to, to rebuke, the, rebuke the scribes and Pharisees? And when is it time to take up my cross and to, and to be crucified. The Lord himself will show you. His, his, the lamed, the shepherd's staff, will lead you. Now, with that said, there's also something else that could be difficult to understand here. Come now, you rich, and weep and wail over your impending misery. You get a very harsh critique of those who are rich in this. But this is not talking about those who are blessed with wealth. This use of the word rich are those who have made material riches their God. And so that's a very, that's a very different thing than, than, uh, than recognizing that God is a God of abundance, has created a universe of abundance, has designed us to receive His abundance and be instruments of overflowing abundance. In this age, there are two economies being raised up. One is an economy of ruthlessness, and the other is an economy of righteousness. And what you see here is, and in this, the economy of ruthlessness, strangely, while many people are living in luxury and pleasure off the economy of, of ruthlessness, they're actually living with a scarcity mindset that there's not enough to go around. And so they're hoarding riches and they're hoarding wealth. And in this hoarding process, they're they're rising up on the backs of others. And so God is going to bring down the ruthless economy. And in the book of Revelation, it's, it's seen as the economy of the beast. And the, that economy, it cannot last forever. Just the very structure of it, it's cannibalistic. It consumes itself. It consumes its own. And so that economy will end and I believe that we're seeing parts of that economy die right now. Let's move on to what God's proposal is. It's the economy of the bride. It's the economy of righteousness. It's where all business is an exchange of values. And we desire to give the maximum value to others and receive the value that's required for us to, uh, <laughs> to, to stay in the flow of abundance. But in this, this is the balancing of the left hand and the right hand. And remember, the, the right hand is for sharing, the left hand is for receiving. This is the rabbis. The right hand is for sharing, the left hand is for receiving. But if all we do is share and we don't receive, we have nothing to give. 
But if all we do is receive, we're part of that ruthless economy, the economy of the beast, and we're hoarding wealth, we're stagnant. We want to learn to receive so that we can give, to stay in that flow of circulation. And it's just like the body, the blood circulates through the body. If you get a clot, it's very dangerous. It can kill you. And so God is healing the body of Christ. God is healing, and this is what is happening in this new new governments emerging and new economies and new currencies and new ecclesia. And when I say new ecclesia, I mean from within the existing structures. So I'm not talking about toppling any church church structures. I'm talking about church structures being renewed. Just like you and I are being renewed as a new creation in Christ Jesus, nothing of the former remains. And so the, the me who was a prodigal son, the me who was the old Adam, you know, at, at any given time, I'm either 100% dead in Adam or 100% alive in Christ Jesus. So the me that's dead in Adam, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same me but my experience of reality is completely different. My experience of God is completely different. My experience of life and of other people is completely different. This is what's emerging. This new experience, a new experience of God, a new experience of reality, a new experience of life, new experience of the Holy Spirit, new, new level of the tangibility, the presence of Jesus and walking in power. Okay, so now we'll move on to our, to our gospel. So at that time, it's the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 38. So it's late in the chapter uh, in, in the chapter 9. In the beginning of chapter 9, we have the transfiguration. Then we have uh, uh, Jesus casting out a demon. And then we have Jesus revealing uh, about his crucifixion again. And then we come to, to this uh, chapter, chapter 9, verse 38. So we start off here. At that time, Jesus said... John, I'm sorry, at that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose their reward. Okay, I'm going to press pause right there. We'll circle back for the second half in just a second. But this insight, notice the similar pattern between Moses and the two prophets that were prophesying in the camp that were apart from the 70. And Joshua came and said, Moses, stop them. And Moses said, are you, know, are you jealous for me? Would that they were all, would that they were all prophets. So the heart, Moses is revealing the heart of God that everybody would walk in the prophetic. Now, what, what we see here with Jesus is the same thing. You know, Jesus is casting out demons with his disciples. He sends out his disciples to cast out demons. And yet, here's this other guy who's not following them, who's casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they say, Jesus, stop him. And Jesus says, don't prevent him. He's, and, and so, and then Jesus says, Whoever's not against us is for us. And this is one of the things that's awesome when you walk with God is you have 
allies beyond what you understand allies to be. And you have that incredible scene between Elisha and his, his disciple who as the army was coming against Elisha, the, his disciple said, you know, why are you not afraid, Master? And Elisha said to his disciple, look up on the hills. And he opened his spiritual eyes so that he could see the angel armies. He said, those that are for us are more than those that are against us. And even Elijah runs into the same thing. He said, when, when, when he's going to war with, uh, with, the, with the priests about the... He, he, says, he says that he's the only prophet that's left. And the Lord says, no, you don't know. I've hidden 400 prophets here and I've hidden 400 prophets over there. God has allies for you that you haven't discovered yet, that you haven't met yet. To, so, so keep your heart, walk by faith and not by sight, only temporarily, because little by little he's going to be connecting you with those allies and you're going you're gonna to experience whole new seasons of, of overcoming, of moving mountains, of walking on the water, of walking in the miraculous. Okay, so that's the first part of the gospel. The second part of the gospel says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So let's pause there for a second. So little ones who believe. So this is one of the beautiful things that, you know, unless we're born again of water and the Spirit, we cannot see the kingdom. We cannot come under God's influence until we become like a child. And this. so the little ones refers to all the believers. And Jesus even says, you know, blessed are you, Father, for you, for what you what you hide from the learned and the clever, you reveal to mere children. And so this is we want to learn to be the children of God who know how to listen to their Father and to walk in revelation. But there are some who would want to shut those doors and don't want us to walk in this revelation, and that would lead us astray. So this word for sin means to be led astray interesting about the millstone that's referenced to let a millstone be around their neck and let them be cast into the sea because of Israel's understanding that the study of Torah is connected to the ministry of angels in the heavenlies turning a heavenly millstone to prepare that the manna that was that was fresh every morning and every evening that becomes a metaphor a spiritual metaphor from for revelation from God man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord and that this is that daily bread lifestyle that Jesus invites us to pray for when he says give us this day our daily bread that we would every day receive from from the heavenly throne through the ministry of angels, that daily bread, that manna, come down from heaven, fresh understanding of who Jesus, uh, of who Jesus is. And this is, you know, there's a danger that yesterday's revelation becomes a false idol. So yesterday's revelation becomes my idea. We we can only do this. Our relationship with God can only stay alive as we stay in a living relationship with the living God who's leading us through us, that's that place where the infinite desire of God and the infinite desire of man meet one another and that fire burns, that, that's life-giving fire that flashes flames of fire. So now as it goes on here, okay, so there's the millstone thing and there's the, the little ones that, who believe we want to be under the divine influence receiving heavenly downloads. If you're if your hand causes you to sing, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands enter into Gehenna. 
into the unquenchable fire. So there's unquenchable fire. If the foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into cripple, into life, crippled, than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Now, often the gospel... <laughs> The gospel of the gospel of the Lord. The one of the things that's amazing to me with this. Well, <laughs> I would often picture this: the worm dying not and the fire is not quenched. I I would often see like this bottle of tequila with the worm in the bottom and see flames around the bottle of tequila. Okay, that's not what this is referring to. So the worm dying not is that which gnaws inside of us, and it is that infinite desire we're created for God. But God doesn't force us to find fulfillment in Him. Sadly, though, this desire can only be fulfilled by Him. And so when this infinite desire, when we feed it with finite things, which is also what James was talking about when when we make money our God, when we feed our infinite desire with finite things like silver and gold and, and, and clothing and food, when we make those finite things our God, they wind up consuming us, and there's no end to it. So the secret to happiness is that divine seal where our infinite desire meets His infinite desire in that living fire. So the, the same fire that burns those who are separated is the same fire that satisfies those who, who, are, who, are, who are saying yes and amen to everything that God's doing. So, okay, so those are, I also think it's fascinating that with this, um, this left and right hand and left and right foot, this is, you know, in the oral tradition around Torah, as they're preparing for the Simha Torah, they're all talking about, you know, remember the, the quote from the Song of Songs, his left hand is beneath my head, his right hand is comforting me. And they're focusing on the left and right hand being balanced. They also focus on the left and the right foot and the even the left and the right eye. These are all deeply rabbinic ways of teaching and understanding and about coming about coming to balance. And the the kingdom of God is that center column, that's the Mahut, that is coming, arriving at that center column. Whatever you need to do to arrive at that center column, this is what's being, this is what Jesus is saying to do. And and this is, and he is setting it up. This is a life, this is not just a life and death choice, this is the eternal life or death choice. And there will be fire. The question, is it the fire of ecstasy or is it the fire of suffering? And so this is what we're, he's, he's pleading with us. This is, this is Jesus, again, Jesus was not afraid to flip over the tables in the temple. This is Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple of our hearts and saying, look, just be honest with yourself. Nothing finite in this world has ever satisfied you. It's reasonable to say nothing finite in this world will ever satisfy you. There's only one infinite source uh, and that can satisfy an infinite desire, and that's me. 
And so come to me, all you who are labor and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take on that yoke of heaven and set that fiery seal upon your heart. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining me for Inscription. Just a reminder that we'll be here every Friday with Inscription and every Sunday with Fire on the Altar. In Inscription, we explore identity, intimacy, and mission. Identity is the more we come into agreement with who He says we are, the more we experience a nearness to God. From that place of nearness, He sends us out on mission. The secret to mission is intimacy. The deeper we go in intimacy, the more fruitful we'll be in that mission and the more fun we're going to have. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week.